Hello, welcome to the self-learning podcast by Dr. Shushma Singh. Let us start discussion on Unit 24, Economic Reforms and Globalization. The art of policy making lies in reconciling theory with ground realities. Policy has to be adjusted if either theory advises or ground realities change. In this unit, we analyze the changing phase of development strategy and policies in India under these twin changes changes in theory and in political reality. Many of the changes in Indian policy occurred because of balance of payment crisis in 1957, 1965, 66, 1973-74, 1980-81 and in 1990-91. Also over the years there was considerable research both theoretically and empirical looking at the experience of different countries and this research influenced the Indian policy makers. In this unit we discuss theoretically the issue of whether policy makers should depend on market or there should be planning and government intervention. Initially the opinions seems to be that a planned economy could perform better than a market economy. But development in economic theory and experience of the socialist economies resulted in a radical change in this view and policy makers came to rely more on market. In this unit we discuss Indian planning, its rationale and achievements and we also discuss trade policy in India, its role within the Indian planning process and how it was conducted. We can, we can discuss the 1991 crisis and liberalization and its consequences for economic performance. We touch upon the issue of the implications of this liberalization for Indian democracy. We argue that till the mid 60s there was consonance between the objectives of Indian planning, economic theory and realities of India's economic and political situation. But since the mid-60s, this consonance started to break down. Liberalization has brought to the fore in the much sharper form the disresonance between these aspects of policy making. Now let us move to the next point, theoretical debates about the use of the market or planning and government controls. 
a major preoccupation of economists in the 20th century, particularly after the establishment of the Soviet Union, has been the question of the relative role of the government and the market in the management of an economy. This question received increased prominence with the depression of the 1930s. Be dealing the capitalist economies and the attempt by newly freed colonies to accelerate growth and improve the living standards of their people. In recent years, this debate between the roles of the government and of the market has taken the shape of globalization and liberalization. By and large, those who favor the market also favor liberalization and those who favor a closed economy favor more government intervention though the lines of battles are not so clearly drawn. There are broadly speaking three sets of beliefs about managing an economy. A group believes that markets led to a desirable outcome. What is technical language is called a Prato-optimal PO outcome. So, there is no need for government intervention. A second group holds that while there are shortcomings in the operation of a market economy, government should not intervene as it cannot improve the functioning of the economy. The more pessimistic in this group believe that government intervention would actually worsen the operation of the economy. A third group believes that the government intervention can improve the operation of the economy, though members of this group may differ among themselves about the extent and nature of the intervention. We define the basic concepts of a PO outcome and its significance in economic analysis before examining these issues in detail. A situation is said to be PO if nobody can be made better off without somebody being made worse off. If there are two inducers, Vinod and Kamal, then Vinod cannot be made better off without Kamal's being made worse off. We would get a PO between better position if both Kamal and Vinod could be made better off. So, if a situation is PO, we cannot improve upon it by a reallocation of factors of production or by reallocating goods between the inducers. But a Prato improvement does not say anything about how the gains are distributed. For instance, if a, the total production in the economy is 100, then if Kamal gets all 100 and Vinod gets nothing, that is a PO situation. 
as we cannot give anything to Vinod that is improve his situation without reducing the amount available to Kamal that is making him worse off. One of the weaknesses of the concept of PO is that it ignores distributional questions. What is its strength? Its strength rises from what are called the two fundamental theorems of welfare economies. The first says that the outcome of every perfectly competitive system is PO. So, if we have perfectly competitive markets and if consumers try to maximize the satisfaction they get from the consumption and product producers try to maximize their profit by the outcome will be PO. But the PO outcome that results may be very unpatentable or unwelcome. As we saw above if Kamal gets everything and we know it gets nothing that is a PO outcome, but few would like that such an outcome is desirable. This weakness is rectified by the second theorem which says that any PO can be reached by a perfectly competitive economy given an appropriate initial income distribution. So, society can let the market operate and reach any desirable outcome it wishes for so long as it can adjust the initial income distribution. So, selfish behavior leads to a socially desirable behavior. The implication of the second theorem is that government should interfere only to bring about a desirable initial income distribution and then let the market work. These two theorems provide the basis for much of the beliefs in the efficacy of the market system that underlies recent liberalization in many countries. But the problem is that careless analysis ignores the qualification that the market system would reach the desired PO only if the income distribution is appropriate. A second weakness of the market system is that there is no way of guaranteeing an appropriate rate of savings and investment in the economy. Private individuals may save and invest less than is socially desirable leading to slow growth in income and employment so that poverty would persist. Furthermore, if saving and investment were not equal, depressions and inflationary episodes would occur. A developing economy needs an appropriate level of savings and investment to raise its rate of growth and improve the living standards of its people. Would a market economy perform better or worse than a planned economy? This question was first raised in the context of the debates about planning in the 
Soviet Union. Lange and Tyler for using the economist stylized conceptualization of how a market economy reaches equilibrium showed that a planned economy could reach equilibrium just as a market economy. An autonomous auctioneer is assumed and he could surprise the people inform him of their demands and supplies at that price. If the demand were greater than the supply, he would then raise the price for next round and if supply were greater than the demand, he would reduce the price. People would give their demands and supplies at the new price and again if demand were greater than supply, an auctioneer would raise the price and if supply were greater than demand, he would reduce the price. The process will continue till a price was reached at which demand and supply were equal, namely equilibrium was reached. Actually, transactions would occur only if equilibrium was reached. Lange and Tyler argued that the real life planning board in a, a planned economy could play the role of the hypothetical auctioneer in the market case and so ensure that equilibrium was reached. Furthermore, the state in a planned economy could rectify the two shortcomings in the market economy. It would bring about a desirable income distribution. Also, the state by its own investments could ensure the socially desirable growth rate. Thus, a planned economy would reach a PO situation and in fact was more likely to reach a good PO position. So, the first round seemed to have been won by those who argued in favor of a planned economy. Later analysis has emphasized the problem with information flows. The planning board can take appropriate decisions only if it has the right information. But it has no way of generating this information on its own. It has to depend on workers and managers in the public enterprise to provide it with the information. They may have no incentive to provide this information. For instance, the planning board may need to set a production target for the enterprise. The workers and managers know much better than planner what can be produced, but they may understate what can be produced either in order to produce more than the norm in order to earn a bonus or because they give higher figure this year. They will be expected to produce even more next year and they do not want this higher target for next year. 
Furthermore, each individual has special knowledge which can be transferred to a central body and in the centralized system this private knowledge is lost only with this vast significance of Hayek's objections against a planned economy better realized. The expectation was that in a socialist economy the individual would behave differently, but for many regions the planned economies were not able to eliminate the alienation that placed workers under capitalism and build the new socialist man. And so these economies were not able to overcome the information problem and system finally collapsed. To a certain extent these economies created their own problems. As we have seen above, a planned economy can overcome the problems of inappropriate levels of investment and an unsatisfactory income distribution that plague a market economy. But unfortunately for reasons not entirely clear, no socialist economy used the market. Instead, they relied on the quantitative instructions from the planning board to various agents. For instance, the state can supply food to all through government shops or can give everyone an income and let them buy what food they want. In the later case, the government uses the market to provide everyone with adequate nutrition, while in the former case the government would have to find out what foods each one liked or risk that the food supplied may not be eaten. So the market should be looked as one of the many instruments that government can use to achieve its objective. Now let us wind up the session and take rest. Thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.